The Millennium Library reopens today with interim security measures. We check in with the CAO of the City of Winnipeg to find out what's changed and for how long these security measures might be in play. Also on the safety front, transit. A father and son were attacked on a bus last week. So we check in with the transit union and with City Councilor Janice Lukes to find out where are we at addressing safety on buses. Busy weekend in sports. Winnipeg Jets played a couple of times. The NFL had a busy slate in the playoffs. We check in with Jim Toth for our Sports Monday chat. And what are the things that you always put off? For me, there's one thing in particular that I do every single year, and it happened yesterday. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, January 23rd podcast for The Start. Good morning, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. After one day of working at home, I have returned to the office. The cough appears to be gone, uh, but I, I decided... I'll work out of, how, what do you call it, Greg? The windowless tomb? The windowless tomb. Or maybe <laughs> because you're there uh, potentially with a cough, we could call it the coffin. <laughs> oh, well done. Well done. It's like a chamber of sadness. <laughs> and how about you, Loren? How you doing? Nah, it's just a never-ending thing. Just can't go away. And I was just telling Jeff Braun, it doesn't help that my weekends are so busy too. So just when you're trying to like rest up, you can't, and you know, you start the week off again, sounding a little hoarse, but it is what it is. Okay, so hopefully my cough stays away. I kind of don't mind it in here, Greg, although it's getting, it's getting starting to cool off. It was piping hot when I got here in this yes. room, and now it's starting to get like cold. It's so. an odd, it's an odd space, Brett. Yep. So, um, thanks for indulging in my world for a morning you know you'll know what it's like when uh, you can see in the monitor oh you won't because i'm not sitting in your chair but when you sit in your chair yeah. you have the incredible view over your shoulder and so when the sun rises that's the only way i know that it's uh, actually morning time is when i come out the, <laughs> come out of there or when i'm watching you on the monitor so uh, yeah it's an it's, it's an interesting experience so uh, we'll, we'll talk at uh, 1005 and before we move on, we say welcome back to producer Jeff Forte, who spent a week and or week in Texas. How was it, sir? Oh, it was beautiful. The weather, the weather was nice, very nice. Yeah. Well, for the first two days, then it got a little cold. Okay. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Quantify cold, Forte. Like uh, 14, 14 to sixteen was. was, was a little chilly. You had to put on a light jacket, did you? Yeah. I did. Hey, I was repping the CJOB jacket. Yeah. That's what I, wore. I was going to bring my uh, winter jacket to the, just to wear it to the airport because that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, glad to hear you're back. Glad to glad be you, back. Glad you had some fun. Sorry Absolutely. that you had to deal with 14 degrees, you poor thing. Well, the first two days were 26, 24, so uh, not really complaining here. Do you, does Fortune have any sort of like... Um no. Nope. Suntan? No. Nope. No. He's like me. You're like me when I go on vacation. It's like I went to Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Zero tan happening. I won't say he's pasty white, but he's he doesn't look any different. I think I got a bit of a sunburn over the weekend. Of course. Windburn. Yeah. Sunburn or windburn? Sunburn, I think, because oh. it wasn't really windy. Uh, it wasn't all that windy uh, yesterday when I went for a walk. 
And so I, I, my, but my face is a, just a slightly pink. I forgot to put on the SPF. I can hear our friend Greg Lindsay saying SPF doesn't matter how cold it is. Wear sunscreen or sunblock. She, she does live by that. But I'm interested to know, you obviously were walking on the river trail. Yep. Because Jackie was out with whiskey yesterday and she came back unusually early saying that she was freezing from the wind and it was damp yes. yesterday so yes uh, i'm maybe, surprised to hear him say it wasn't windy right okay good uh because yeah. you know i'm not calling him a fibber but i'm guessing it's the <laughs> i'm guessing it's the geography and the fact mm. that you're you're below ground level shelter belt <laughs> a pseudo shelter belt yeah you know you're you know you're right i'm sorry the afternoon it was a little breezy but it wasn't too bad and in i went for a second walk in the evening and the wind did feel a bit worse, but I and the, in the evening I went down the the east way to the forks, uh, so I believe it was a south wind at that time. So yeah, I was completely sheltered from the wind uh, yesterday evening, but during the day it was kind of in my face, but not too bad. When did the snow start? Because I came out uh, this morning, and and you probably will as well, depending on where you are. Maybe I would say centimeter, two centimeters of snow overnight. I didn't even really know we were expecting that. Yeah, I don't know what time it started because it wasn't. I went for a walk. I think around eight p.m. and it wasn't snowing then, so I don't know when it started. But uh, looks like those flurries should uh, could potentially continue through the day as the wind picks up out of the northwest. Uh, so it might be a colder walk home than I was anticipating. So in the meantime, we are going to spend a lot of time today talking about the library. The Millennium Library reopens, Greg, and we'll have more on this with Clay at 635. Yeah, Clay Young will be there all morning. He'll bring us uh, what he sees in terms of the changes before the library opens. We'll hear from some folks about what they think about the changes that will be unveiled in person this morning. And Loren, uh, we're expecting to hear from Michael Jack, the CAO of the City of Winnipeg, in person after that opening at 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, lots of eyes on this, McNabb. Yeah, but because it's such a focal point of the downtown, it's a beautiful building. A lot of people come and go through there. If you don't even just use it, you might just bypass it to walk through the skywalks or whatever to work or go for lunch. And so he's going to be speaking at nine o'clock to walk uh, us through what's going on and the changes that are coming. But we're going to be talking a lot about safety this morning because it's the library that's in focus. But once again, Winnipeg Transit in focus and the safety issues there. It was just a few months ago. The union sent letters to both the province and the city basically saying, we need immediate action. Well, last week we learned about a dad and his kid, his 10-year-old, being punched in the head while riding the bus. We're going to hear from both the union and the head of what is essentially a safety advisory committee to see what's being done to make changes, to make us all feel more safe on the bus. But right now we want to talk about the library. Later this morning, the Millennium Library is going to reopen with new interim security measures. And this is while officials await the results of an ongoing security audit. Some of the new temporary measures, Brett, being added include a controlled entrance to the library with stanchions and a walk-through metal detector. Two Winnipeg police officers will also be on site along with four additional security guards. What do Winnipegers think about these new measures ahead of this morning's reopening? Global News morning reporter Clay Young hit the streets to find out. You had to shut the library down uh, because uh, how can people come to work when they're afraid for their lives? And I think that enhanced security, even temporarily, has to be in place. Uh, screening has to be in place. 
uh, across the street, they're screaming at Jets games. They're screaming at Bomber games. Um, they're screaming at concerts. Um, what makes this so different? The trail of having security there, and especially the police officers, um, will make it more inviting. Sadly, I think it's sad that that has to get to that point. Um, but I think as long as it's peace of mind for everybody, and that's what's going to get people back here, then that's great. I just wish it didn't have to come to that. The people that are on drugs, or they're still going to come here and cause trouble. But it's not, it, I don't feel still safe at that, this library. I can go to any other library and uh, I feel very safe there, like the St. James one or whatever. But when I come in here, even with cops or whatever, still don't feel safe. No. Clay Young joins us now from the Millennium Library. Uh, good morning, Clay. That last person you spoke to basically saying that even with police officers on site, she's going to likely use a different library. What did you hear on that front? Is, are people going to return to the library as before? Or it might be a mixed bag for, for, for a couple of days. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you picked up on that one, uh, Loren, because... Um, you know, we were talking to people and asking them about the new security measures and will this make them feel safe? Will this make them return? Uh, right now we're in the, uh, the lobby of the library. They open it up. The city opens it up around 630. Um, this is for people to come into the, lo- uh, to the lobby and warm up. But that one gentleman pointed out that he's come to this library many a time. And he's told, he told us that, you know, man, I see drug deals going down here all the time inside the library. So these metal detectors may be fine for picking up things like knives and what have you that people are maybe on their person and trying to bring in. But they're not going to pick up drugs unless they start frisking people. Uh, and that, that really uh, made me think. Um, but like you said, you know, it, it's quiet here now, but things are going to start picking up uh, later in the morning. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how many people do come to the library today uh, when it opens its doors at 10 a.m. And later this morning, we're going to be talking to the president of QP500. He represents the library workers. And is this enough? Is he satisfied? Or does he want things to go further? And then the mayor, Scott Gillingham, is joining us uh, here in the lobby at 8.30. So um, we're going to continue our coverage. It's a big day here after that horrific incident. And we'll just see how it all unfolds. Clay, can you see any evidence of Q creating equipment yet, uh, signage? Anything look any different before the doors open at 10 o'clock, as you said? Not yet. Um, but... Uh, there are security guards here present. They they open up the library at 6.30. So the, the security guards are here now. Um, I'm curious to see when the police officers, there's going to be two of them, uniformed, uh, when they will arrive. And when the barriers or, or the roped area where people will walk through when that, but nothing has happened yet. But as we continue through the morning, we expect the activity to pick up. Now, Clay, that you, you mentioned the mayor is going to be there with you around 8.30. What other plans are there for this morning? What are we going to hear? Uh, funny you should ask. Uh, a representative of the city 
is going to be coming here at about 9 o'clock. That's the chief uh, uh, operating officer. He's going to clue all the media in as to how this day is going to unfold, what people can expect when they come here at 10 a.m. And, you know, this is, this is a place where people want to read and, and use computers and things like that. And the, and the last thing they want to worry about is, you know, worrying about some guy with, with some kind of a weapon in here. So uh, it's, it's going to be a busy morning, even though it's quiet right now. Clay Young, we'll get more from you later this morning. Thank you for the time. Anytime. I wanted to just point out, guys, you know, one of the things that was suggested that when they introduced these screening measures, they didn't have the police back in 2019, but they did put in, you know, uh, metal detectors. Attendance went from what was an average of 855,000 visitors in 2018 to just 600,000 visitors in 2019. So 200 fewer, 200,000 fewer people going to the library. But uh, on the other hand, it's hard to tell that since then, if the if the problem's grown worse, are we also seeing a drop in attendance of people who just don't want to go because of safety for getting those measures? And so, I I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens as the day and the week unfolds, but it's a big day for people who use and just walk by that location. I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that a, a dropping, a, you know, use of the library would be the first priority. Maybe it's one measurement mm-hmm. with regard to the conversation here and about whether or not this is the right thing to do. I would rather have 10 people there per day that all feel mostly safe as opposed to a hundred people a day where most people or majority are, are uncomfortable with their surroundings. So uh, I understand why people might point to those attendance numbers, but to me, that's not the most important issue in any way, shape or form, Brett. And what we can't tell, and I'll just wrap quickly here, Brett, is that because of COVID attendance dropped dramatically anyway, right? There was closures and then there was, reopenings but not full reopenings and so it's hard to tell from the numbers from even last year if anything was back to normal or if people are also staying away because it's not safe and so those numbers have to be put into context and and as you point out perhaps not the most important thing to look at anyway we'll have more on this through the morning on 680 cjob and you'll be able to read more as well at cjob.com It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have a pair of tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Jets versus the St. Louis Blues, Canada Life Center, next Monday, January 30th. And the question we have for you this morning, what is something you always put off maybe to the last second? For me, I got my annual reminder of this when I looked and realized that yesterday was the deadline to renew my driver's license. So I, while I was comfortable at home, I'd just gotten back from a walk, just going to sit down and relax and thought, nope, I got to get up and go find somewhere I can renew my driver's license because the deadline was January 22nd. And I get that letter in the mail like mid-December. So it's not like I have, <laughs> it's not like this is a short notice kind of dropping a bomb on me. I had six weeks to take care of this, but every year, I wait until the last day every year. Do you figure MPI gives us too much warning on that one? I think maybe. It could be, right? Yeah. I, f- I don't know why it's this is the system anyway. I got to derail the entire thing, but I'm with this happens to me every year too, Brett, and I will sometimes go beyond the deadline and then realize weeks later, oh my gosh, I've been driving around. Why isn't it just renew and you can put a credit card on file? 
Yeah, I mean, because they but, they didn't. I, all I had to do was go in and pay my my license. I forgot that the, they made some changes to the way the the auto pad comes. That's out. That's what and, I do. I, I just have a credit card on file, and then and they just take it out of my account. Really? What? Yeah, because okay, I actually because I actually went down there this year when I had to renew mine, and they said, "Oh, the money's already been taken out." There's uh, you, you, and I said, "Really? I, I don't have to come down here?" And they said, "Yeah, it's no problem." And I was I walked out of there, and I was surprised that it had like automatically been taken care of when I took special. I made a special trip to go there, so. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't know if you have to set that up or anything, but that's what happened to me this year. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there we go, Brett. Problem Maybe. solved. Well, you know what? I have a year to put off <laughs> setting that up. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk to you January twenty fourth, twenty twenty four. So let's go around the horn here. What What do you put off? What's something that you you put off? Uh, all the time, Poitras. Why don't we start with you? Uh, well, p- my poor rabbit. I mean, I don't want people to think I'm uh, I'm I'm abusive here, but I always forget to like get when we always have like vegetables and like lettuce and stuff in there. But we like to give them some crunchies, some little rabbit crunchies, um, just uh, you know, at night, just to give them a little bit of something. And for some reason, I wait until that bag is like I'm shaking it for the crumbs every single time, and I drive by that pet store six times a day, uh, back and forth and I always forget to grab those or like I'll get always running low on hay and I'll put it off until I'm like taking the last handful out of there and I don't know I, I and it makes me feel bad like I, I feel like I'm failing uh, my little reg and so uh, it's it's heartbreaking I, I got to do better I always tell myself I got to do better for reg I got to do better for reg <laughs> Another T-shirt there, McNabb. Do better for Reg. Yeah, so a picture of a bunny there. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good slogan. <laughs> Got to do better for Reg. Uh, for me, it's everything. Uh, but uh, in particular, the one thing that I hate doing too soon is if I'm going out, let's say, on a Saturday night, going to a fancy dinner or a fundraiser or something on a Wednesday. I don't like to sit around the house all dressed up, ready to go. So I like to mimic my morning. Like I want to get showered, shaved, come out of the shower, and then get dressed and go. I do not like sitting around. I do not like waiting for a ride if we're getting a ride. I want it all to kind of go the way it does in the morning time. And so based on that approach, I typically end up being late. I get I get dressed for that kind of stuff way too early, and I end up sitting there for like two hours. I was like, what the heck am I doing? Why did I do this? I'd be get so much more comfortable. Jacket. That, come on. Uh, you're right. Well, and you've got pets, especially you've, and especially now that you've got a cat. Yes. you got to be careful with that, because right. I remember any time of the, when I, I remember with uh, when I had my house, uh, and if I was going out with my girlfriend, we would be, you know, inevitably I'd be ready before her that's not a criticism it just doesn't it takes way less work for me to get ready than uh, than the ladies but um i could i i'd put my clothes on and then i realized i can't sit anywhere i can't touch anything or i'm going to be covered in cat hair so you end up at an impromptu cocktail party in your own kitchen a <laughs> cocktail party for one because you don't want to sit down anywhere that's right Jeff Brown, what about you? Uh, for me, it's it's mailing mailing anything really. If it's got to go into the mail, uh, and I'm supposed to send it yesterday, I'm not sending it until tomorrow. And the worst of example is birthday cards for my family. All my family lives in Ottawa now, and like last week uh, on Wednesday was my sister and one of my nieces' birthdays, and I mailed those cards on Tuesday, and I sent my sister a text. Uh, Oh, first I sent her a text, what's your address? And then, unrelated, birthday card's coming late again this year. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I can't seem to get them into the mail on time. I don't know why. It's it's so weird. And Loren, what about you? 
everything. Like, Greg, paying off my credit card, I leave to the last possible day. And I don't know why. You know it's coming. And then I'm in a full panic of making sure that gets in so I don't get hit with interest. But the one that bugs me the most is running out of coffee. We run out of coffee every single, it's not every month, but we do the pods, like the Keurig's pods. And you can see them dwindling down. Like, it's so obvious, right? Like, there's four today. There's three the next day. There's two. And you look at it, you're like, got to get some coffee. And then 3 a.m., you wake up and you go out to the pantry and you open that door and you're like, silently screaming inside because it never used to bother me until I switched to this job. You can't, I can't not have my coffee in the morning and I do it. I do it every time. I let it go right down and then spend several days with no coffee. It's awful. It's like the worst. It's awful. It's terrible. Sad panda. What, is yeah. there, is there any substitute? No. No, you can't. Once you're on the coffee train, it, like I love tea and stuff like that. And I know we're, sure. we're not, not everyone here is a uh, coffee drinkers. Uh, but I, I, once once you need like once you're on the coffee train and I only have one cup a day, um, but Same. yeah, but I need like that. I I wait for it. I wait for it. It's like well, I think everybody. Can, there's a lot of people who can connect with what Loren and I are. It's kind like of in here. the day doesn't start properly, and I don't even like. I have a cup right now that's still half full. It's been sitting half full. It's now cold <laughs> I've been for like two two and a half hours. So it's, I don't even know. Do I need it that badly? I don't know, but I want it, Brett. It's just that it's sip. Not it's there, the first sip, Loren. The whole day is just, I'm just like, now what? Now what, Moose? Look at me. Go get some coffee, dog. Like, I don't know what to do. How does, that, how does it go, Mackling? The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup? That's yeah, how it goes. Go. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I don't do Folgers, but still. <laughs> hey, Forte, what about you? Okay. <clears throat> I'm guilty of this. It's texting people back. When somebody texts me, you know, like, I see it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to respond to this. I got to finish up whatever I'm doing. And then I just totally forget about it. I forget about it. Be like a day later. And I just, I put it off. I really, really put off texting or even emailing someone back. It's just, uh, I'm terrible at it. Does anyone else do that? Oh, yeah. I have no, lots I of friends who, uh, who I can, when I text them, I can essentially count on them to not reply or potentially not reply for 48 hours. Like if I say, if it's not an urgent request, I'll just send them the note and know that maybe I'll get a response in the next Two to three days, but if it's urgent enough, then I'll just call them. Absolutely. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm terrible, and I always, always forget, and then I put it off, and I put it off, and it's just terrible. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up a bit later on this morning at 8.35, Jim Toth joins us to talk sports. Winnipeg Jets had a couple of victories over the weekend. NFL playoff action felt a little underwhelming from where I was sitting watching the game to the point where I turned one off and said, I'm bored. But we'll get Jim's opinion at 8.35. And before we talk transit safety, what are the things that you put off, and this one's pretty simple, and I think this is probably something that a lot of us deal with it, Mackling. Yeah, because they're not inexpensive. They take a little bit of time, and depending on whether or not you go to a dealership, it takes some planning. An oil change, one of our listeners says, is what I put off, and I went back and forth with this listener because I did an oil change on Saturday morning. It's the third consecutive Saturday. It was on my list of things to do. The first two, I just didn't get at it early enough and went in the lineup were too long got up very early saturday morning went and uh, got my tea and then went for for gas and a car wash and then went and uh, got the oil changed in and out 20 minutes so uh yeah that's a good one i think a lot of people feel that 
All right, so keep those coming for a chance to win Jets tickets for next Monday. They're playing St. Louis at Canada Life Centre. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. It may be a new year, but the same old problems around safety continue to plague Winnipeg Transit. And based on what we've been hearing over the past couple of weeks, I think many would argue that those same old issues are actually growing worse. Numbers shared by the union representing bus drivers show assaults on employees are on the rise in 2022, and there continue to be issues this year. And, and as for passengers... Well, it was just last week we learned about a man and his son, a 10-year-old, who were punched in the head several times while riding the bus on Main Street around 8.30 p.m. last Thursday. Two suspects were later arrested, Greg. Yeah, this comes uh, this comes after uh, months after the transit union sent letters to both the city and the province asking for help to fix what they were calling, quote, a crisis in safety on city buses. Later this hour, we'll hear more from the chair of the Transit Advisory Committee. Right now, we turn to Chris Scott, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union 1505, for his thoughts. Uh, Chris, good morning, and, and thanks for this. Oh, good morning. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Well, you know, 8.35, 8.30 thereabouts on a, on a bus uh, anywhere in the city. You know, you could be out with your kids. It doesn't matter if you're a dad and, and a child or, or a, a mom. And, and you think, boy, this should, be, uh, this should be fairly routine. I was flabbergasted by this, although I know that things are not as they ought to be safety-wise. But this was very eye-opening for me. What was your reaction to this assault? Um, well, I mean, I was absolutely disgusted, as, uh, as most people that I've been uh, reading their comments on Facebook with regards to the police uh, bulletin. It, it, unprovoked attack, which seems to be happening more and more, uh, not only with the uh, public, but obviously with my membership, with the operators, whether they're operating the bus or just standing at the bus stop waiting to get to work. It's, it's grown to epic proportions, uh, something tangible needs to be done to improve safety. I want to get into some ideas in, in a minute, Chris, but I know the union doesn't track necessarily assaults on passengers, but you do look at what's going on with drivers. And so what do numbers show so far this year? Uh, so far, since January 1st, I've received 10 notifications of assault, whether that be uh, uttering threats, uh, uh, verbal, racial slurs being thrown, um, pop or coffee being dumped on the operator or, or physical interaction. Now, your union essentially put out the call for help back in October. So what have you heard since then? Uh, well, we uh, just recently had a meeting with uh, Mayor Gillingham and uh, Councillor Lukes, Councillor Orlico, and they're receptive and, and they understand the importance of, of implementing uh tangible safety measures. Uh, there's been a lot of ideas proposed, a lot of good ideas, but it's time to put them in place so that my uh, members and the riding public can see that the service is getting safer. Uh, Chris, obviously your uh, focus, at least in large part, has to do with the safety of your members, but also the viability of the service overall has to be a concern and, and who's riding the bus and who's maybe more importantly choosing not to. And so at what point do we acknowledge that this is, I don't know if we want to put the term crisis on it, but uh, certainly priority. It doesn't feel as though that it's a priority at all uh, for anyone except those that are speaking out asking for change. Well, I don't think crisis is uh, very far off and being an accurate description, but um, as, ex as expressed by us on numerous occasions, safety goes hand-in-hand -hand with reliability of the service. 
Um, we need to properly fund the service so that the buses aren't always running late. Uh, that is obviously an, um, an aggravating factor for the riding public. They like their bus to be there on time, just as the operators like to be able to provide on-time service, quality on-time service. I know that was always a key thing for me on some of the routes I drove. I like to be there on time and to provide the best service possible for the, for the riding public. So we want to have reliability, Chris, 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 apologies, but when it comes to the, the safety issue itself, what's something that you think could be implemented right away that might make some changes and, and that you feel the city hall might be receptive to? Well, I think one of the key things is perhaps um, expanding the authorities of the inspectors uh, or splitting them off to create a security force and, and have the inspectors handle uh, departmental issues. Um, they need the ability to arrest and detain for the police and perhaps even to to a greater extent, there needs to be a division of transit in the police department. Uh, most major cities have that, um, even if it's uh, on overlap days where they have the additional officers to do special projects, as was done uh, several years ago when uh, John Callahan served in this position. We know a lot of the, the uh, confrontation between uh, passengers and operators have to do with fare, uh, you know, arguments or, or discussions over over fare and payment of, of, of such. A lot of people will say that it's the bus driver's job to enforce that. What's your take on that, Chris? Um, well, initially, uh, when assault started climbing, it was as a result of fare enforcement. Uh, the, the job of the operator is to inform um, the passengers of the fare. Uh, we're finding as the uh, issue of fare evasion has grown, it's it's not so much anymore the uh, fare enforcement that triggers assault, it's the fare evader. Uh, people are empowered by the fact that they can just do what they want and get on the bus without paying, so they can do what they want to the people on the bus and have no consequences of it. Um, that's definitely something that has to be addressed. Um, the More of the riding public feels that if certain individuals aren't allowed, uh, don't have to pay, why do I have to pay? Um, and that, that has allowed that issue to grow exponentially. But the underlying issue that would need to be addressed is uh, uh, funding from either the provincial or federal government to uh, address the issues of mental health awareness, addictions, treatment, or even housing to lift these people up out of poverty. Chris Scott, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union 1505, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chris, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Again, thank you for having me on the show. What are the things that you put off? What does Richard have to say? Richard is telling us about the dentist, the thing that he seems to hesitate the most about. I've worked the same job for a decade and a half and have been lucky enough to have coverage, but for the first time, 10 years, I, I, I never sought out the dentist. I'm not afraid. It doesn't bother me. It was just something I didn't see as a priority. Well, a few years ago, I finally made it to the dentist after my decade of ignoring my teeth. It turns out I have five and a half cavities. I don't know. How do you get a half cavity? I, I, I make two appointments to get them filled, but managed to talk my dentist into doing all of them at once so I wouldn't have to come back again. 
over the last years, uh, last couple of years, I've only made it to a couple of the cleanings. They keep calling me to go. I really do intend to go more regularly, but I just can't seem to make it happen yet. On a side note, says Richard, you don't realize how much mouth pain you're having with five cavities till they're gone. Why do we do this with our health, right? Like your teeth are your health. Going to the doctor is your health. I have a sore back and it means go to massage for a year. Yeah, right? You put it off. It's a good why? point. <laughs> why do we do that? Like as if you've ever had a massage and thought, I really regret this massage right now. Ever. <laughs> well, if they get into that deep tissue stuff. Oh, right? I love that deep tissue. Oh, get yeah. at her. Get in there. <laughs> uh, keep those texts coming. The things you put off. Uh, for a chance to win Jets tickets, we're going to pick a winner at uh, 9.15. It's for Monday's game against St. Louis. It, it, unprovoked attack, which seems to be happening more and more, uh, not only with the uh, public, but obviously with my membership, with the operators, whether they're operating the bus or just standing at the bus stop waiting to get to work. It's it's grown to epic proportions, uh, something tangible needs to be done to improve safety. That was the head of Winnipeg's transit union, Chris Scott, speaking to us earlier this hour on safety concerns after a father and son, a 10-year-old child, punched in the head by two other passengers while riding the bus last week. Yeah, so we've heard about assaults on passengers, and Chris's numbers so far show that there have been 10 assaults this year on drivers. Janice Lukes is the councillor for Waverly West. She's also chair of the Transit Advisory Committee. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Good morning. We, we know this has been on the radar for a while now, but it was just a few months ago the union asked for action after a rise in assaults. I know you've met with them a few times since, so let's talk about action. What action have we seen in these past couple of months when it comes to making people feel more safe on the buses overall? Sure. And I just I want to appreciate just send thanks to Chris Scott. He's uh He's the new lead on the uh, ATU union representatives, and um, I think we've got the same the same goals in place. We want to see improved transit, and we want to see safety. So, I just became chair uh, of Public Works after the election uh, in November, and the first thing I did was I called a safety committee meeting. The safety committee in the past met, I believe, four times a year. We're ramping it up to every two months. Uh, so at the meeting, we basically discussed the number one priority at the time is determining um, a, an improved safety shield around the drivers. So we're going to be piloting uh, different models for the drivers to determine which type of safety shield they prefer. So we've started with that. We've got discussions going on right now with the province of Manitoba. The mayor and Mr. Gertson, it's been in the news, it's not a secret, have been meeting to look at um, some form of, um, whether it's a, a safety officer or some form of enforcement on the bus looking at uh, safety issues. So that discussion is underway. We're working through the budget process to secure funding to support that. We should know, I don't know, I'm going to say in the next month or so what the decision on that's going to be and how we're going to proceed. That's complicated. Not the same, but similar to, you know, setting up safety procedures and processes at the downtown library. 
whatever we do for safety on the bus in the way of um, peace officer or whatever it is, we have to ensure that we can um, sustain it, that uh, it's, it's affordable to people, and that it provides the necessary protection, I guess, or safety that we want. Now, of course, there's hundreds of buses driving all over the city 24 by 7. Um, we're working with uh, ATU, with Chris and his team, to identify routes that are more problematic than other routes. But we all recognize, as this incident on Chancellor and Pembina, there's issues all over the city. Um, you know, um, Mr. Scott has made statements, which I'm 100% supportive of, and I'm glad that he has this vision, too. It's can't be just a city solution. The, the issues that we're facing are bigger and deeper. Social issues, mental health issues, addiction issues. Councillor Lukes, I'm going to jump in here if I can, because I think we're all on the same page on that with regards to the macro issues here that are creating part of these situations. One of our listeners texted in to say, imagine if 10 city councillors had been assaulted in any way, shape, or form since January 1st. Things would change in a hurry. And I understand you're looking at these things, but at what point do these become action items versus things you're examining that you're looking at and interim solutions while you find the ultimate solution is what's happening at the Millennium Library? You referenced it. What interim solutions are com- are happening on Winnipeg Transit? Sure. So right now, Drivers have the access to cell phones to make calls. Some of them were in zones where there was no cell ser- or there was no service for the current radio system. So I just want to advise uh, you and listeners that there was a lot of talk in the past. We have a new mayor now. We have a new council. It, you know, we can't turn the dial in two to three months, but. It will be turned very shortly because this isn't acceptable. So I know people feel there's a lot of talk and no action, but people also have to remember that there's hundreds of buses out there. We need to find a solution that we can afford, that we can pay for. We have to identify money and we have to get approval and work with the province. That doesn't happen overnight, but to ensure Everyone knows the mayor and all of council has this as a top priority. We want to get people out of cars. We want to get them on the buses. Look at the cost of investment of the rapid transit corridor just saying in the south end. Hundreds of millions of dollars. We need that to be optimized and used. And we are working on this. So I know when you say you're going to turn the dial up and we can't expect something immediately. Is there a timeline in your mind where you'd like to see where you know, improvements where we're seeing, say, 10 assaults a month or 12 assaults a month cut in half. When we talk about immediate action, I think people then want to know, well, when are you going to have a timeline for understanding that we've made changes that are all leading to improvements, Councillor Lukes? Sure. So I, I would like to see significant announcements and changes and changes made in the next three months. So that's my goal. I hope I can deliver on it. <laughs> Janice Lukes is the counselor for Waverly West, also chair of the Transit Advisory Committee. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much. And you can continue to weigh in as well at 204-780-6868. Normally we do our Monday morning Jets report just after 7.55. We're going to move that 
to 810. And uh, I'm glad that she pointed out that, the, you know, where this, uh, this incident took place, Pemina and Chancellor, because at, when I used to take the bus, that is not somewhere that I would have ever worried about where am I taking the bus at this moment? Because I remember uh, riding the bus on North Main and seeing some sketchy stuff that happened on that bus. We're going back years ago now. And another one on Ellis, where to the point where I never wanted to ride that particular bus again. Um, but there are other spots where I never would have been concerned. And now to see that it doesn't really matter where you are, that's scary. Yeah, the threshold of acceptability again, right? Geography, is it based on geography? Is it based on numbers, based on Councillor Luke's own stated goal there? That means we're okay with uh, 30 more minimum based on the average uh, 23 days into 2023. We're okay with uh, 10 assaults on on bus operators every, every 23 days. I don't know. I, I'm not cool with that. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are asking you to send us a big gun of a text message at 204-780-6868. What are the things that you always put off? We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. We've got Jets tickets for Monday. St. Louis Blues in town Monday, January 30th. And actually, I think I, I, think I know one of the things that Mackling puts off. It's uh, cleaning up after himself in the office. What's like, that? It's like a veritable um, Greg was here identifier in every room. There's a, there's this giant uh, uh, Woodlands book, the yeah. history of the rural municipality of Woodlands. Beautiful where we book. Are. Yes, it is. Sure. Been sitting here for a while. We got a big stack of sheets. Yeah, I still I still computer. work in there, Brett. Yeah, yeah. You you have a desk in the newsroom, right? Where you can put all this stuff. Theoretically. <laughs> Never mind all this stuff in the studio as well. Anyway, just a reminder, this book's still here. It's a nice book. I like it there. Fits there. All right. Uh, we're going to pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, let's talk some sports because it was a busy weekend. Jets win twice over the weekend, Saturday night in Ottawa, last evening in Philadelphia to move back into a tie with Dallas for first in the Central. So the Jets, even their record on the season-long road trip, it's five games or two and two. The Jets in Nashville tomorrow night before returning home for games Thursday versus Buffalo and a rematch with Philly on Saturday night. So far this season, only the Boston Bruins have more wins than the Jets. To recap the weekend and to look ahead, let's welcome back to the start co-host of Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras, Jim Toth. Jimmy, good morning. Good morning, all. How are we today? Happy Good, Monday. Happy Monday. So following those two straight losses to Montreal and Toronto early last week, there was perhaps some hand-wringing going on in Jets Nation. Did the Jets manage to alleviate some concerns of the of the concerned faithful over the weekend? Well, I think they did, and, and that's where we're at with this point of the season is uh, the Winnipeg sports uh, base uh, of fans waiting for the other shoe to fall. And, and let's be honest, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, so that's a measuring mark, and, and when things don't go well, whether you don't get a win, uh, people judge that for sure. But um, And Montreal's just not very good and, and didn't have a very good lineup. So when things go bad like that, but uh, I like what John Shannon said on our pregame show on, on Saturday night, saying these are the dog days. The end of January, beginning of February, you've kind of established the team you are. Now the grind to, to get better and continue going. 
begins, and it's not always easy. So I, I don't take too much out of the losses. I don't take too much out of the wins. Um, they beat the Ottawa Senators and beat the Philadelphia Flyers. The, that Ottawa win was very impressive, and they were great in all facets of the game. I was um, chatting with some Ottawa media, and they were talking about, man, that Jets team is locked and loaded. They were great in all zones. So I think it's just one of those things that now that they're here at this point, how they maintain it and any stumble along the way, which there are going to be stumbles. It's an 82-game season. Um, they are going to lose to bad teams. They're going to lose to good teams. But what the great thing is that they've done is they haven't lost three in a row uh, more than once this year. And so when they bounce back with two other wins um, and continue to climb the standings, I think it's a positive. Let's go to Vancouver for a second and talk about what happened there this weekend. I'm, I'm going to recap what went down as far as I saw, Jim, and feel free to correct me as I get through this. But of course, there's been speculation for a long time now about the future of Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. I think you can go back to the fall, November, the team president, Jim Rutherford, he made his feelings public on a radio interview. Then last week, he admitted he was talking to other coaches. And then we learned essentially before the Saturday game that a new coach was likely intimate, all while Boudreaux is essentially on the bench coaching the game Saturday night. And in the end, he was fired. Uh, there was a lot of tears shed in the locker room. It was a real public spectacle. What, what do you make of how all that went down? Because was the idea to be respectful to him? Because most people said it was extremely disrespectful how it took this drawn-out period to come to a conclusion that was pretty much foregone as far as many were concerned. Yeah, to me, it's not just about the weekend. It's how Jim Rutherford has chosen to deal with Bruce Boudreaux for since he got there. Um, at the start of the season, he said some comments publicly about, you know, maybe not believing in him. He didn't want to give him a new contract after he came in and, and got the team turned around and, and in a better place. Um, there's a lot of dysfunction in the Canucks organization prior to Bruce Boudreaux being their head coach. And uh, we can go back to the days where Trevor Linden was brought in and then he uh, left or was fired um, with the plan that he had in place. But with Bruce specifically in this past month, to be honest with you, it's disgusting and it's shameful as an organization. It's no problem if you want to move in a different direction. It's no problem if you want to fire a coach and get somebody else. And if that somebody else, in this case, Rick Tockett, isn't available for a couple of weeks, there's three other coaches on that coaching staff that can move down the bench, relieve Bruce from this strain, and move in a different direction. But Rutherford's been critical of Bruce in the public eye from this get-go. He's been critical of him, which is his right as a general manager if he doesn't like what his coach is doing from the start of the season. But this past two weeks has just been shameful and disgusting in my mind on how you handle somebody. And the worst part is, is they're trotting Bruce Brudrow out in front of their hockey talks campaign about mental health and everything else. When you have an employee who's been around in the game for 40 plus years and he's mm-hmm. reduced to tears on the bench, you're forcing him out there. Now you could say he could quit, but he can't. That's not how it works. You owe him money because he signed a contract. To me, the idea that, that really did it for me was was they had a pregame skate, and my, most head coaches don't take every pregame skate, and he wasn't out there, and he mentioned that his wife was texting him and said, did they finally do it to you, and, and what's going on? You didn't tell me. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm just not taking part in the pregame skate. That's not right. That That's abusive behavior towards a man who doesn't deserve that, in my mind, no matter how bad of a job you think he's doing, and he's not doing a bad job. He has a winning record since taking over, The big thing out of this whole mess is the fact that the Vancouver Canucks are now paying three head coaches. They're paying Travis Green still, they're paying Bruce Boudreaux still, and now they got Rick Tockett on the books, costing about $6 million total for all three of them. There's dysfunction in that organization, but 
what speaks mostly to it in my mind that's disgusting and shameful is just fire him already. You, you, it's almost like as if they have a personal vendetta with him that they want to keep trotting him out because of some argument or something. And I don't know the inner workings of it, but this was very unprofessional by the Vancouver Canucks. I think they've done a lot of damage with their fan base over the way they treated Bruce Boudreau, and I think they've done a lot of damage going forward. I don't know a lot of players that will look at what's been going on with that organization, and other than needing to cash in a big paycheck that would go, yeah, I'll sign there. I want to play for the Vancouver Canucks. They seem to know what they're doing. Um, and, and, and the most obvious one this weekend, too, is the players coming out and talking about this. Your team and your players should be given every directive and everything that they can have to be successful. And when they're distracted by this, when they feel bad for their head coach for the way he's being treated, that's mm-hmm. an awful thing that an organization can do to the, not only their fan base, but especially Bruce Boudreaux. Jim, just maybe just 20 seconds on the fact that the, the Canucks are 14 points out of a playoff spot. I don't think they have designs on on making <laughs> making inroads and catching uh, Colorado or Edmonton or Calgary to be in the conversation for the wild card. So time necessarily wasn't of the essence, and the whole idea of not putting in an interim coach. What's the excuse for that? Well, Jim Rutherford has a relationship with Rick Talkett. It's clear that a lot of people have said to me, what's on topic Talkett's coaching resume that makes him this highly sought after? And I go, he's a sought after coach but they have a relationship. But that just speaks again to the lack of direction. When the Vancouver Canucks were here a couple of games ago, I was blown away by the number of head office brass they have. They have about three or four assistant GM, GMs, Jim Rutherford's president running things. And for every one of those people that is top heavy compared to any other NHL organization, for one of them not to sit down with somebody inside some meetings and go, this is wrong. We got to let this guy go. This is kind of torturous to him and it makes us look awful and our players are distracted and everything else for no one to sort of step up and do that. I think is shameful on the organization. Switching to football before we go, Jim, the NFL conference championships are set. Kansas city will host Cincinnati in the AFC championship game next weekend. And that game is actually going to be similar to November's great cup game. And that the health of the starting QB for the hometown chiefs is up in the air. Thanks to an ankle injury and the NFC championship game will feature one team with a rookie quarterback doing pretty special things. And the home team who had the best record in the league. So what were your impressions of the football action this weekend? Well, my impressions were I was very impressed with both wins. I thought, well, I guess all four wins. Kansas City's uh, Patrick Mahomes did more on one leg than most starting quarterbacks, or at least 10 or 12 of them in the National Football League can do on one. So his status will be up in the air. But I was the most impressive was the Cincinnati Bengals. They got off to a rough start. They had a ton of injuries, and they've just been one of those really good teams. I know they went to the Super Bowl last year and lost, but they've been one of those very good teams that sort of couldn't find traction for the first half of the season. But once they did, they got back to their their sort of um, usual ways of running the football and throwing the ball. Uh, Joe Burrow was magnificent. The defense has come to the forefront. I really like Cincinnati's chances going into Kansas City, but I also feel Kansas City is is probably the favorite to come out of that that conference as well. And then on the other side, I'm sorry, 49er fans. I know there's a ton here in the city, but I just don't think they can get past Philadelphia. But of the four teams left, I think Philadelphia, Kansas City, or Cincy could all win the Super Bowl. So I think it's just been a great round of playoffs. Um, Last year, Cincinnati surprised a few people and and came out of the woodwork, not making the playoffs for so long. I don't see that this this time around with the conference finals. I see four teams that, that probably were the best four teams in their conferences 
coming into the playoffs. So the, the cream is kind of rose to the top here and we'll see what gets done on the conference weekend. But there will be some massive games going on in Philadelphia and Kansas City. And I already know some Winnipeggers heading down to Kansas City. Oh, wow. Well, look at that. Jim Toth, host of, co-host of Jets. I'm not one of them, by the way. I'll be here. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Would so you, you like to hang out, Brett, or anything? Let me know next week. <laughs> Jim Toth, co-host of Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and the host of The Jim Toth Show, airing weekdays 1 until 3 on 680 CJOB. Jim, take it easy. Hey, thanks, everybody. Have a great morning. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our next segment, we have Jets tickets to give away for next Monday, January 30th, St. Louis Blues in town. We're asking you to tell us about the thing that you always put off to the last minute, like the Earl of Eli, who says he's always on time for everything, but taxes, always on the last day. He gets the notes watching the news saying, hey, it's your last day, and then he has to jump up and run to the computer and file his taxes. Uh, so tell us for a chance to win. We'll pick a winner in our next segment. But right I now- get that. That's like you just don't want to know sometimes, right? So you leave, like, paying off your credit card bill. You're not getting my money to the last possible second, and with taxes, I don't want to know what the deal is until the last possible second. And one of our other listeners said the property tax bill because it's a lot of yes. money to part ways oh. with. Yeah. At one time. Yeah, you want to put that off to last possible second. Uh, deciding on a winner for this segment <laughs> and for our daily prizes could go on that list as well. We seem to leave that to the last <laughs> second almost every day. Sometimes the deliberations carry you through to live on the air. Um, but right now we want to talk about how the folks at the Health Sciences Center Foundation have a goal and they are well on their way once again to hitting it. Yeah, so last summer, of course, the foundation launched what's been dubbed Operation Excellence. This is a $100 million campaign that they're really trying to gear towards reducing long wait times that we see for so many surgeries and and doing that with the use of different tools and technologies. And so in part of their goal, work towards hitting that goal, uh, initiatives like the HSC Foundation's 17th Annual Innovation HSC Radiothon, presented by Merrick Holmes, Greg, go a really long way. Yeah, so that Radiothon ran this past Friday on this very radio station, and it not only raised awareness about a number of initiatives at HSC, it also raised a whole lot of cash. For more, we're joined now by HSC Foundation President and CEO, Jonathan Lyon. Jonathan, good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. So it was a pretty happy Friday. It was a great Friday. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, had a wonderful day with the HSC Innovation Radiothon. Thank you. Thank you to CJOB and your listeners and, uh, and all Manitobans who once again showed their generosity and stepped up in support of HSC Manitobas Hospital. I'm a stats guy. I like numbers. Can you remind us what the, uh, what the eventual total was on, on Friday well, afternoon? Well, I actually have an update to the update. So the, uh, we had a goal of $205,000 for the day. And, um, when we uh, last were on air on late Friday, we had raised uh, just over 216000 And then through the course of the weekend, uh, further donations came in. So I can tell you that we uh, have concluded our HSC Innovation Radiothon 2023 with, insert drum roll, $220,194. Attaboy. Way to go. Way to go. And uh, wait, that's a lot of money. Where is that money going to go? We uh, support our uh, research at the hospital through events uh, like our Radiothon. But as you alluded to, Loren, 
Uh, we're in the midst of our largest capital campaign in the foundation's um, over 47-year history, uh, $100 million uh, campaign for Operation Excellence to uh, innovate our surgical uh, uh, surgical suites and expand surgical suites and, frankly, transform uh, the delivery of healthcare because even though it's based around the surgery program, it impacts everything. It impacts the emergency department, uh, operating room capacity, our ability to uh, treat patients and get them out and home sooner uh, by using less invasive technology is going to be a great thing for the uh, patients. Uh, we are going to tackle these wait lists, which existed in the pre-pandemic world and only got worse. And um, and uh, so we have an aggressive plan, and we're really uh, pleased to be able to support that through the generosity of Manitobans with our Radiothon proceeds. Let's talk about some of that technology if we can, Jonathan, because I think a lot of people think, okay, we need to add staff to the hospital system right now. And, and we do in a variety of different areas. But you talk about that, that technology reducing the time I might spend there, which reduces the need to have that staff. I can only imagine when people who work at the hospital hear about this type of initiative. Do you get like a flurry of emails like, please, please, please buy this, this or this? Like, how do you figure out on the list of needs how to prioritize? Well, well the good news is, is that... Uh... You know, me as a fundraiser, I don't have to figure that out. What we do <laughs> is we part is we partner with the uh, with the medical leadership of the hospital. So, as the through the development of this plan, which is going to involve um, you know capital space, so we're going to build and in the process of because uh, that work's already ongoing in earnest. We're um, expanding surgical capacity, so you need surgical suites to do that, and then you need the equipment uh, for those surgical suites. And as an example, in the uh, Spine surgeries are something we, we hear about often in, in the news, uh, people going down to the state. So we are going to have a dedicated spine surgical unit, and it is going to have uh, state-of-the-art technology that will allow um, uh, spine surgeries to happen with uh, less invasive work as opposed to cutting people open, utilizing new technology. And, uh, and that is developed through the Department of Surgery. So Dr. Ed Buchel, who's the head of surgery for the province of Manitoba and also for HSC, then works with his colleagues in, you know, surgical spine specialists, as an example, to say, okay, what's, what do we need to, uh, to help with these, you know, the, the goal, of course, is to get at these wait lists, right? So what, is, what, are the, what are the cases you have and what are the latest and greatest technologies that we need to employ to help these Manitobans, and that's how it works. So we work with the leadership of the hospital. They provide uh, a listing of equipment, and then through the generosity of Manitobans and through the support of the province, the province provincial government has committed $50 million to this. So we're actively um, purchased equipment that is already being uh, implemented and utilized even before we're able to get the new surgical suites up and running. So it's a very exciting time, and we're going to have an impact in a very short order uh, with this, and again, tackling these wait lists that, uh, uh, you know, we all know someone, a loved one who's on a diagnostic or surgical wait list, I imagine, and uh, I certainly do, and uh, and this is important to get at it. Well, Jonathan Lyon, President and CEO of the HSC Foundation, congratulations, thank you for joining us, this is fantastic news. Once again, Manitoba's come through for HSC. Thank you. It is. 913. And again, congratulations, Manitoba. $220,000, 194 yes. for the HSE Innovation Foundation Radiothon presented by Merrick Holmes. And big thanks to Merrick Holmes and all of the sponsors who played a huge part in making this event a major success. Loren, you mentioned it on Friday. We're just the conduit. We connect the stories, the positive the goals, uh, what's behind those decisions with the public, and it's the public 
the donors, the purchasers, those who stand up. This is their accomplishment. Uh, we're we're just we're just connecting the the two entities. But I, I'm going to brag about it anyway. I personally raised two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Oh hospital. goodness gracious! <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you make your resume, and it's like people you get certain resumes on your desk. You're like, well, this sounds like a whole whack of embellishment. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> you want two hundred k? I can get you that. And related news: Loren is running for U.S. Congress. <laughs> there you go. We are asking you about the things that you put off right till the last second. For me, it's my driver's license renewal. It's always on deadline day when I finally get this thing taken care of, which was yesterday for me, and I was annoyed to have to deal with that. Although apparently you can do it online, so maybe uh, that's uh, I'll, I'll put that off until the last second to figure out exactly how I go about doing that. John, we're the only two people that I think didn't know that, Brett. Yeah, <laughs> because we were talking both you and I at six forty-five. Why don't they just have like an online option or something? And then, oh. They do. Yeah. I didn't so. even think to check. Didn't even <laughs> think to check. Jonathan says, two things. We've had a lot of people talking about oil changes, but cleaning out my closet. Jonathan, I'm with you. I've been in my apartment since 2019, and I, I just got in there and stuffed everything into the closets just to the point where I can close them, and I've been meaning to go in there and organize them. And have, have I done even thought about doing that? No. So I just kind of, with my storage closet especially, I'll just open it slightly, throw something into it, <laughs> <laughs> and then close it. Uh, one of these days I'm going to open it and I'm going to get buried in an avalanche of all my junk. Uh, what about David Mackling? David's got a, this is a good reminder. It is. My big thing is gas. In winter they say keep at least half a tank at all times. I run mine down to the very last couple of kilometers before filling up. Dangerous, I know. Hopefully I will improve on this one. Thank you, David, for sharing with us something that I think a lot of us do. And then Addy from Steinbeck has one more on the oil change. And then, Loren, you can take our winner. Addy says, me too, oil change. It's been on my list for two to three months. My dad or uncle have been doing it for all these years at home. But my dad moved to the U.S. three years ago. And my uncle has since gone back to India. And with my husband not being all that reliable, I just just have been so lazy to get it done. He just got used to my dad maintaining my car, even though we've been married for 12 years. Just lazy with excuses, I guess, because the oil change place is right beside my workplace. I love it. No excuses and still all the excuses in the world. (laughs) But Frank is our winner, Loren. I, I just like how Frank phrased this. We constantly put off taking time for ourselves. We seem to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff and home projects and everything else and forget about working on us. We were given a gift certificate for the Thermia Spa seven years ago. Seven years ago, it still sits covered in dust. Maybe this is the year, Frank says, and then adds, ticks to the Jets game would be great as it's a specific date and time (laughs) which we'd be forced to use. Yeah, that's pretty brilliant, actually. Way to tie it all together, Frank. Well, congratulations, Frank. You're going to see the Winnipeg Jets host the St. Louis Blues on Monday, January 30th at Canada Life Center. 7 o'clock. And it's funny because over the weekend, Power 97 was asking a question on their socials. I think it was Lex who was asking, what's the best social prize you ever won? And one of their listeners said that they won a mystery box. So it's just like there was a prize inside a, a Keurig coffee box. 
but they waited months to open it. Turned out to be a couple of Winnipeg Jets jerseys and tickets for a game they missed. No oh, way! No. <laughs> That's Why? brutal. <laughs> I could not hold off opening that. It's much the same way I want to hit that button in the newsroom that I'm not supposed to touch, where it says, please don't touch these buttons. Yeah. I could not have a box in my house with an unknown in it and not open it. I don't know. I, I have no idea how they, they must have just forgot about forgot. it. Forgot. Yes. Mm. I, they were out of social. Will come to the door. I want to open up other people's packages I see on their doorsteps. <laughs> like, I open the, what's in the box? Maybe they didn't realize they brought it home, that they'd won, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yes. Maybe that happened. Mm. But right now we want to get into this here because the Millennium Library officially opens its doors today after it was closed in early December over some major security concerns. Yeah, so of course it was initially closed after the fatal stabbing of Tyree Kaye on December 11th. But even before that tragic death, the union representing library staff had expressed concerns about what's going on there and, and what they were calling an increased number of incidents. And so it was closed. There's been weeks of consultations. The decision was made to introduce a controlled entrance to the library and add a walkthrough metal detector as of today. Two police officers will also be present. And we've been told these changes are meant to be temporary while a safety audit continues. But we're looking for a bit more information on this timeline now. So we're joined by Michael Jack, CAO of the City of Winnipeg. Good morning. Morning to all of you. So the doors open uh, in about 23 minutes time. Uh, If I come through the Millennium Library today, what would I see, Michael? Uh, it's, you'll, you'll certainly notice some differences. Uh, you'll notice the, the same excellent library that it's always been, but uh, at, the, at the main entrance, the very wide entrance that most people access the, the actual library portion of the building, uh, you will see a, a walk-through metal detector, uh, similar to as you see at, at, at other uh, you know, events, like when you go to a Jets game. Um, so you'll see uh, some stanchions kind of controlling the flow of traffic through that metal detector, You'll see a few security guards there simply to uh, facilitate that process. Uh, Once you're in, you'll likely see a couple of uniformed uh, Winnipeg Police Service officers uh, who will be stationed there during uh, during open hours during this uh, interim phase. Um, those are likely the, the, the two most noticeable changes you're going to notice as a library user. Uh, Michael, uh, Greg Mackling here, and I know these are being described as interim measures. I, 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 you know, I, I questioned on Friday out loud the idea if they were interim, what took so long to put them into place? And, and maybe just in addition to that, this uh, study with regard to what we might see, is that underway already? Like, can you just walk us uh, through how we got here and, and what might be coming next. Yeah, for sure. And so we started the, uh, the, the work of the security consultant. Uh, I think it's known we've engaged Garda World. Um, we had them already working a couple of weeks ago, um, and, and, but they were doing their on-site visits just last week. Um, and, and so uh, we are hoping they move quickly and, and we are expecting their recommendations back uh, within just a few weeks. Um, you're, you're right to question, and a lot were questioning why, you know, uh, even though, uh, you know, d- despite the horrific, uh, you know, death that occurred, uh, still, you know, why did it have to remain closed for an entire month? A lot of discussions were taking place during that month. Um, it, it's, it, uh, there are a lot of uh, very, uh, you know, interested stakeholders, uh, most importantly our staff. We, we had to have the necessary discussions. This, these interim measures really do feel uh, like a bit of a last resort, if you will. I don't think anybody, 
who operates this library, anybody at the city, uh, nobody ideally wants to go to metal detection. Uh, you know, that's not something that's it's not a, a draw that people normally get into library work, you know, hoping one day that they can worry about things like uh, weapon searches. Um, so there were a lot of uh, a lot of important voices we had to hear from uh, throughout this um, and a lot of options we had to consider. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, one option, of course, was going to be to simply await the expertise that we are, are procuring here um, and, and keep the thing closed until we got those recommendations. Knowing that that could be weeks away and depending on what funding is available, you know, months away, um, we, we didn't think that was acceptable. I mean, this, this, is, this library is really, really important to Winnipeg. Uh, we, we, we wanted to get it open. We knew our mayor uh, and our council wanted it open uh, and wanted us to do what we needed to do reasonably to get it open. So there were a lot of competing interests that I, that I think likely answers your question, why did it take a month? You talk about funding. What's it going to cost for these changes? Uh, so, so these changes are uh, expensive. Uh, depending, we're still tweaking exactly uh, how much components of it are going to be, but it's certainly north of $10,000 a week uh, starting now, uh, just incremental to the overall operation of the library. Um, uh, and, but those, again, uh, I, I, are, are the interim phase. And so uh, what we're hoping for, uh, and I've, I've been open about it, I would love to see us make enough changes, uh, and I'd love to see the situation improve sufficiently so that uh, at some point we don't feel the need to have a metal detector there um, so that we're able to make other changes uh, that are that are more affordable, if you will. But for now, we knew uh, we really had to treat the, the, the safety, uh, not only the actual safety, but the perception of safety of our staff and library users is paramount. And so, you know, this, this is what we felt we needed to do just to get it open. So I'm curious, what are the benchmarks for feeling like significant changes these changes have led to improvement with safety. Uh, is it about, you know, if we would cut back incidents by X percentage? Uh, is it about attendance also being weighed on that? Because I know the last time we introduced changes, and I know these are temporary, but, you know, even just the metal detectors, there was talk that the attendance dropped, but so did the incidents where staff were worried about their safety. So what's the, you know, line item, so to speak, Michael, when it comes to how you'll assess whether or not something is working? Uh, yeah, that's a fair question. We're 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 gonna maintain data, you know, starting today. Uh, you know, we've always recorded uh, a, a lot of detailed data about library use. We will continue to do that. Uh, and, but bear in mind, I, I you know I know we've said it a, a dozen times on this uh, on this interview, but it, you know these are interim measures, and so we will be more interested in what uh, what our our security consultant feels are the, are the the right measures going forward, the sustainable measures going forward. Um, and, and I need everyone to understand we really are mindful of the balance. Um, we, we want this to be as accessible to as many uh, library users as, as it can be. And we know uh, that measures like a metal detector gate um, present uh, access challenges for some, uh, depending on, on, on what's going on, depending what they carry on them. Um, so, we, so that's an issue. And, and that, that's also an issue that, uh, that, I, that I need us to address as thoughtfully as we can. Um, you know, the most safe library would be one that is locked up 24-7 and doesn't allow a single person in. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of the saying, uh, the verse, you know, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Um, this, this library was built and it's funded by, by the city of Winnipeg to be used by the city of Winnipeg. We know that. 
we want to get to a place where everyone feels they can do so safely. You mentioned the fact that uh, this library is something uh, that, that we use. We use it in different ways now, perhaps, Michael. I don't know uh, your vintage exactly, but uh, Brett and I have discussed uh, growing up in Winnipeg, it was a place where we went to work on school projects on the weekend when our school libraries weren't accessible in the days before the internet. But the way libraries operate and these services that they offer has changed substantially over those 40 years since I was going there on a on a regular basis. So maybe you could just talk about how they've changed and how it's become an access point uh, for other community services, not just uh, books, magazines, and and other things we normally, I would put in quotation marks, associate with a library. Yeah, you're hitting on a really, really broad discussion. I am uh, I, I, I listen to you guys enough to know I'm a similar vintage as well. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is increasingly being viewed as uh, certainly it's a place where people uh, even just seek refuge from the cold in the winter. Um, you know, it's, it's a place for people to be at times when uh, if they don't, if there aren't other options uh, for them uh, to be somewhere. We know libraries are increasingly uh, ser- serving additional functions or, or people at the very least are expecting them to serve additional functions. We've, for a period of time, we've operated a community connection space out of the front uh, portion of the building, something we were very proud of, something uh, that our council instituted after a report that I had authored, uh, you know, was sent up to council and was approved. Um, we thought it made a great deal of sense to be able to connect to community members through, uh, through a host of agencies uh, in, in, the, in the front lobby area. I'd like to see the time where we're able to return that to function as well, because that's really, really important. Um, the, the flip side of the discussion is kind of back to what you mentioned, at least how you remember it. Um, you know, this is still a library. We still want the focus of a library to be uh, where, where people go to read and imagine and make things and grow and, uh, and just be, and, and a, a huge, uh, awesome kids section where, where kids can just go and explore. Um, and, and, and can't really lose sight of that. So I think there are voices increasingly expecting our library to be everything to everyone. Um, I, I think where we have a lot of overlap in, in our support for some of those voices is that I, I too, uh, and I think our council agrees, and I know our mayor agrees, I agree that there aren't enough spaces, enough warm spaces, enough safe spaces uh, for everyone in our community to go spend their time, spend their day, and feel safe. Um, it, it is a, a complicated discussion whether the library uh, has to be uh, the place where all of that intersects and is provided. And before we let you go, Michael Jack, CAO of the City of Winnipeg, uh, our question of the day today has to do with the fact that police are going to be on hand as part of these interim security measures. Uh, will it just be interim or will has there been any thought given to uh, keeping members of the police service on hand uh, for good? Uh, you know, we really are going to assess, uh, you know, what this interim phase looks like and, and the recommendations we get. I, I, I do, I, I think it's fair to say anything's on the table. Our police service have always been, uh, you know, a, a very willing partner in trying to um, ensure safety at and around uh, the library. But our, our police members will routinely, even before we had closed in December, will routinely pass through, will routinely walk the skywalk system, will routinely come in and check on how people are doing, uh, routinely end up seeing incidents unfolding in the foyer. I mean, uh, the police are not unfamiliar with uh, the Millennium Library uh, in any way. Uh, and so I think no matter what, uh, you're always going to see uh, our, our police trying to be 
you know, good partners here and, and doing what they can. Whether whether we they remain fixed uh, in the library, I don't know. I candidly, uh, I would I would prefer we get to a point and and we're able to put in thoughtful enough measures where we don't require, uh, you know, constant staffed police dedicated solely to the library. Uh, I'd love to see us all collectively get to that day. Michael Jack is the CAO of the City of Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much. Thank you all.